0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Harriet Russell, sectors editor. How are you doing, Harriet?
1: Yeah, good, thank you.
0: Excellent. And Mark Robinson, deputy companies editor. How are you, Mark? I'm bearing up, John. Bearing up, indeed, indeed. It was a busy press day yesterday. We got through it. Again. Again. Um, we celebrated. Again. And now we're not celebrating. No. Right. Uh, so, retail is the big story of the week. Um... Lots to talk about there, some results, which we did discuss last week from Next because they came out on Thursday. But you've wrapped that all together nicely into a, into a, a bigger piece about the retail sector and what's going on there because it is a bit confusing.
1: It's very confusing. And anyone that read my bigger feature on the consumer state of the consumer um, sort of economy this year will know how confusing it is. A lot of the data is conflicting and it's very difficult to pull out any major trends. But, of course, one major thing that's been happening in the last couple of weeks is that the pound is coming back against the dollar.
0: Indeed. And that's something I cover in my editorial as well. Uh, Robert, you're talking this week uh, about drones.
2: Yes, I thought we have covered um, uh, drone technology in previous issues of the magazine, but we've tended to uh, focus on the military aspect.
0: Which I, is the primary application of drones for so far. For the
2: time being, yes, it, is, it certainly is, and it, and it will continue to be in the future. However, the proportion uh, of uh, civilian applications in drone technology is increasing, as is the size of that market. So it's, it's worth highlighting for our readers, I think.
0: Indeed. Well, we'll, uh, we'll come on to that. And we're going to speak to Simon Thompson uh, very shortly as well uh, about his, uh, his latest column. His, uh, his ideas this week. Let's start with Rita.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been kind of the... Big bear sector of the year in a lot of ways. Um, big bear. <laughs> he was
2: the big bear. <laughs> Hello to all the bears out there.
1: <laughs> oh, let's not run too far with that metaphor. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a really difficult industry to invest in this year. But uh, one of the big things that has happened, as I mentioned, is that the pound is starting to strengthen again against the it's,
0: dollar. It's been strengthening for a while. Nicole covers this in her, her trader column this week. Yeah. It's been strengthening since October.
1: It actually has. But, in,
0: yeah. but as she points out, in such a way that no one's really noticed no
1: no one's noticed exactly and finally i feel like this week at least the city analysts did sit up and notice because of course i think what the analysts are driven by obviously is is company reports very few of them do like pure economical reports um so when things start to change at their companies is when they start to take uh notice and but things at companies have a lag time obviously mm, so, the,
0: the thing that really lifted the pound this week was was the retail sales figures from the ons
1: yeah they were much better than expected um a one percent growth whoo, i mean it's uh it doesn't sound like much on paper, but um, as I say, it, it was beyond people's expectations. And-
0: when you say growth, I mean, let's, let's qualify this because there are different types of growth within retail sales there are. figures. Is- there, there's volume growth, there's value growth. Yeah. What, what are we talking this about This is here?
1: volumes, which is even more crucial because... We have seen a lot of price inflation this year as a result of the pound, and the big fear was that people would be very sensitive to prices going up because wages have sort of lagged inflation, um, and therefore volumes could potentially fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would just add to the woe that the retail sector had had last year. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Month to month, it's kind of up and down, but but August uh, is an interesting month. I. I suppose if there's any kind of caveat I would put on that, it is it is what I mention in the piece, which is that tourist shopping has obviously been a big trend this year. Has
0: that, has that actually been quantified in, in any way? The impact of, of the weak pound attracting tourists to Britain who will go there and then spend money in the shops? I mean, because the, the M&S don't split that out.
1: No, and that is the big problem. So it is a bit of a sum- summisation on my part, which is that you kind of just have to assume. Um, there is some separate data that I have quoted in there about sort of uh, visitor numbers really going up. Mm -hmm. And just from sort of the general headlines, a lot of those tourists have sort of justified their travel based on currency alone. Because quite frankly, the global security threat at the moment should actually be putting a dampener on our tourist's industry really, right but
0: it's now. everywhere so so i mean it, you know if you, if you want to go away you're going to go away and you go where you're going to go and
1: right but they're choosing to come here and why are they choosing to come here as opposed to paris or rome it's because the pound... town better, better. <laughs> well it is better <laughs> <laughs> proudly wave my british flag but um but ultimately because the pound is is very attractive they can get um particularly american visitors can get um a lot of discounts right now
0: mm. so who's been who's been uh the the beneficiary of this trend. So next. I'm gonna start with next. We talked about we talked about next last week. Yeah. But, I mean, I've, I've looked at these figures again. It's like, wow. And I looked at the share price, and it's even more wow. I mean, it, it is yeah, wow. This is, this is a bounce-back uh, extraordinaire.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was actually on holiday for the results, sadly, but Megan Boxall, who covered them in my absence, has um, has a very good opening to that story. And she just says, you know, there are very few companies who could say that their profits are going to fall by that much this year. Yeah, it was and, a big number. Though, yeah, so yeah, it was a big I'm number. And still, and still see their market value rise by a tenth on on the back of that news.
0: Is, it, is this next back to form as being, the purveyor of gloomy uh, forecasts and then beating them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a trend at Next, but, uh, you know, people who have covered, uh, who, sorry, who have watched my coverage of that stock will know that I put it back on a buy tip.
0: One thing I would say, I mean, you're going back to the tourist thing, I mean, is the tourist really going to come to Britain and think, I've got to go to Next?
1: No. When you asked me then, I mean, you sort of cut, you started to answer your own question in who were the main beneficiaries. The main beneficiaries are the luxury retailers. Mm. Absolutely. Burberry, Mulberry um, are the two big listed ones here. Um so, yeah, I think if you're asking who me, me who the main beneficiaries are, it's going to be those companies. And of course, those companies also have massive exposure to international revenue as well. So it's a win-win situation. So yeah, companies like Next, no, it's not It's not a top-line issue for them. It's not going to drive sales. But of course, what the pound does do for them is that it mitigates a lot of that margin pressure um, that they've been feeling so far on the input cost side. And what it also then suggests is that they won't have to put through as many price increases as people thought.
0: Yeah, because they, they kind of reined in what, what they'd previously said about the the the. the, the, the the size of the price increases they would have to put through yeah. next year. But I mean, it's that almost negligible now.
1: Yeah. And a couple of the retailers I've spoken to, not even in clothing or even general retail this week, um, have said the same thing. Oh, price increases not having to be as dramatic. They will still have to happen. The,
0: but- question, the question I would have, sorry, Harriet, to interrupt. So the, the pound fell quite sharply against the other currencies after the referendum. Mm-hmm. Have they been able to mitigate that effect through hedging? And as those hedges run out, do they run into trouble?
1: The hedging lasted, I think, till about the end of last year. Um, there were there were just a couple of companies. Um, I think Jules was one of them who had hedged right before the referendum, so they had a slightly longer trail it was on clever. those. Yeah, it was quite clever. Um, I like Jules. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're a speculative buy of mine. But... Um, they, uh, Yeah, they were kind of um, alone in that behaviour. A lot of them had existing hedges and those did roll out maybe around the turn of the new year. And since then, it's it's been a bit of a nightmare. They've either had to put through quite dramatic price increases, which obviously for someone like Next or someone in that kind of value sphere of the retail sector... I wouldn't
0: you- describe Next as value.
1: Well, no, but they're mass market.
0: They are mass market, but they're definitely not value.
1: Well, this is now the problem is what I'm getting at is that the further you notch up those prices, they do have a very sensitive customer when it comes to prices. I think that's absolutely true. And... Your leverage on that front starts to wear thin quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see you've got the page actually open at Weatherspoons. Which... I was, I was,
0: yeah, I was, well, was going to ask Robert about that, being a being a, a, a specialist in, but, the, well...
2: in, in the field of uh, drinking. Yes.
1: <laughs> but but if we're going to stick with the idea of what prices mean to customers, I mean Weatherspoons is an absolute classic on this front, which is that traditionally it's it's accepted margin hits rather than trying you know risk alienation of customers via via pricing. And,
0: and they've had a spectacular share price rise this week.
1: They have. They they have actually put through price rises, <laughs> but they've been minimal compared to the rest of...
0: And they're so cheap, anyway.
1: Yeah, they are very cheap. Um, And they've still maintained that overall kind of value offering. It's a lot of, you know, expanding the range and stuff like that.
0: But again, I see this as a domestic story, largely. You know, you, you don't come to Britain as a tourist and go, I must have to check the spoons." No. <laughs> No. I hear the food is very good, which it isn't.
1: No. When you're looking.
0: For- <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. It's I've not had, very I've a, good. I've
1: had a bacon sandwich there that was okay frankly.
2: You can get a chicken korma.
0: <laughs> it was
1: okay. That's,
2: that's a glowing review for you. A I had a bacon korma. sandwich yeah, that was okay.
1: It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> anyway,
2: okay. Hey, chicken korma. And uh, a, pint, a pint of best bitter for five ninety nine. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. You can't complain about that. You can't. No, I mean, maybe that's what's here. Maybe the, the next morning you will, but... <laughs>
1: No, I mean, when I'm talking about ONS data and whether that includes any boost from a summer tourist season that was inevitably quite good, it is speculative. I don't know because the ONS doesn't split the figures out. What I'm saying is then when we get the data for September and if there's a fall in September, I'm not going to be hugely surprised. No. That's all I'm going to say. The growth is so thin at the moment, it's it's on a knife edge. So
0: Yeah. I mean, let's stick with retail because... Um I am sceptical that there is a genuine retail recovery that's happening mm-hmm. right now, uh, even if the pound is strengthening and helping them out a bit. I just, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I mentioned in my editorial uh, there were some figures from Markets who do the Household Finance Index. That, that households are worried mm. about, about their their, yeah, their situation. I mean,
2: we have linked it in the past as well to where we are in the credit cycle, and, and it's pretty obvious that… And uh, we're, at the, we're towards the end of it. Yes, of course. Of course, exactly where we are. So, I mean… The underlying factors are negative in terms of retail at the moment. So
1: yeah, and about uh, three weeks ago, in the wake of SafeStar, which is a window and door specialist that had results today, actually, um, and those are to come. But um, how were they, they? Well, they had. <laughs> oh, we know. How we they know were because... how they were because they had two profit warnings in two months over the summer. They've had an absolutely disastrous season. Um, but they're up seven percent today, and that's because they're citing the same thing, which is that the pound is starting to recover and the market trading has stabilised. Who Pretty knows? sure
0: they make all their. Double glazing in Britain, but uh, well, but there you go. Well, they they right. claim
1: that it will it will ease the pressure on margins, but there's a lot of self-help going on there as well. There's a lot of trying to take costs out of the business. Their marketing spend went up by a fifth in the first half, which they just say now is unsustainable, stuff like that. So they're going to have to pay more attention. They've let their sales director go, which is quite interesting as well. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. But I, I wrote this piece in the wake of the second profit warning that relates just to what Mark was saying about the credit cycle, and I really draw together there. Obviously, SafeStyle sells a lot of its product on credit now um, through third-party financiers. And I draw I draw a fairly sort of thorough line through the retail sector, which is a lot of the suffering we've seen. DFS, for example, um, a lot of the common thread are these retailers which depend an awful lot on credit. Yeah, I, I
0: mean, one thing I will say about so I bought some sofas recently. I bought a lot of sofas recently. Um and I didn't buy from DFS because their sofas weren't very good. Mm. I didn't like them. Well, and, they... you know, and so this is the other thing. You know, I Actually, in retail, it's not just about the broader macroeconomic trends. It's actually about having the right offer.
1: No, and I said ages ago on Next, right at the beginning of the year when things were looking really, really dire, um, my big criticism of them was, ultimately, people just don't want to buy their clothes, that's, clearly.
0: That's, that's the point. I think that is an important point that gets overlooked in, in, in the sort of melee of economic does. data that we, we discuss often. But actually, retail as you often point out to me, Robbo, is detail. Retail is... Detail. And it, that means getting the range right, also, knowing it's, the customer. It's
1: design. It's design at the end of the day. Marks & Spencer has had a similar issue. You only need to realise that when you look at the performance of food versus general retail, which historically has been much better, um, to know that their customers clearly just aren't interested in what they've got to sell in clothing and home. I haven't bought anything
0: from Marks & Spencer for a long time. Well, I bought... A well, lovely mirror, actually, yeah. a while back. But that was a rare item
2: that they had.
1: Yeah, it's... Um,
2: Didn't you mention that our former colleague, esteemed colleague, Stephen Wilmot, was uh, commenting on Prada handbags in the press lately? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting one. If you really want to look into luxury retail more, I mean, I've I've got um, buy calls out on Burberry. Um, Mulberry, I'm more neutral on because the valuation there is very, very difficult to unpick. But Stephen's piece on the Wall Street Journal looks into Prada, which is having a really, really difficult time, which is an interesting point because... You would expect luxury retailers this year to do really well um, simply by their exposure to international markets and currencies and all of those sort of macro forces that we've discussed thus far. And Prada is having a similar problem to Next and M&S, which is that people just don't want the stuff.
0: Down to design. Mm. I Will, mean, let's let's go from one end of of the spectrum, luxury, to the other, Morrison's. <laughs> actually, it's not quite that far.
1: It's not. It used it, to be. It used it, to be. Did it, it
0: used to be. They are. They are having. They, I mean, actually, the share price graph this week doesn't look so great. But
1: but it, this it's come, one from be, a, it's come a long way. That share price. So I'm not surprised to see it sort of you know, flatten out a bit. But,
0: but this recovery story is quite extraordinary.
1: It's extraordinary. It's the, it's the recovery that no one saw coming because they were too busy looking at Tesco. I would
0: never have predicted this. No. No, I was looking at Morris's too. I would never have predicted this. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I chopped there I didn't, just didn't think it was very good. And I thought the, the, the challenge of the turnaround was going to be too much. Yeah. And, and they've done it. Or they, They're doing it.
1: They're doing it. I think the best call that David Potts made when he first came in to sort of rehash things was exiting convenience straight away. He just chopped it. The second best thing he did was sign with Amazon. And between those two things, they've then been able to free up a lot of pressure and focus a lot more heavily on what they've got left in their own sort of superstores and and get that under control. They've invested hugely in their staff as well, which is another element I think gets overlooked quite a lot, which is that if people do make the effort to go to a physical store these days, they don't want to be served by people that don't know what they're doing and don't care about what they're doing. Um, But you've got to incentivise the workforce because those are sort of more menial jobs with lower wages. So you have to find a way of building Staff up in Wasn't this there always places?
2: this disconnect as well with the traditional Morrison's outlets and uh, Safeways um, that
0: they I, that was a hang, that was a hangover that, that continued to afflict them years after the, the that acquisition had actually happened? I remember going into a store in somewhere in Devon, uh, yeah. Tavistock, in okay. fact, it was, and it was an old Safeway store, and it was horrific. Yeah. So, so you had all these flagship stores that you know the new ones with the sort of you know smoking mist above the vegetables and that kind of stuff, but the actual rest of the the old Safeway estate was still of mess yeah
1: i think they are intending there was a result and there was an announcement not too long ago that they are intending to bring back the safeway brand in some sort of way but i'm not quite clear yet on how they intend to do that it's it's about now that they've got themselves into a more solvent position about how they re-enter convenience ultimately
0: i've been impressed with morrison's recently i've been in there a couple of times they've got the best vegetarian range in the country
1: oh there you go i think david potts gets gets overlooked a lot when people just want to talk about dave lewis much more um so yeah kudos to him
0: kudos to morrison What's the, what's the dividend yield? Hmm. Not as good as it should be. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Sainsbury's has a better dividend yield, which is, uh, which is my pick of the sector has been for job a long with, time. The with Sainsbury's,
0: Harriet, is it's just boring. You know, they, they kind of, they kind of just do what they do and they do it quite well and they've been doing it quite well for a long time and, I mean, Argus aside, which hasn't really had a, I mean, it's had a, a financial impact, but in terms of the experience impact, not a great deal. It's- not,
1: well, not yet. I mean, there's still an awful lot of investment to come on that on that front. And if anything, it's the cost of that investment that has people worried. And they've just started now to amalgamate the sales figures, which I think is a smart move, because I think a lot of analysts were getting bogged down in, oh, let's split out Argos from General Grocery. or oh, General Grocery still isn't doing that well. It's like, yeah, but that's, that's just not fair because argos is a part of that business and if it is helping to drop the drive the top line then that just proves it was a smart acquisition i think i
0: I think it was a smart acquisition i
1: do too now there was a lot of skepticism at the time about what exactly they were buying but i you know have patience with sainsbury's i think i think there's more to come on that front
0: equally if it ever gets through the competition regulators i think booker is an incredibly smart acquisition for tesco i'm fascinated uh, to see
1: how that plays out i mean that is integration on a massive scale
0: or is it that's the thing is it
1: well, exactly I, I mean, suppose. you
0: know, I mean Argos there has been some integration but not it's not uh, not over integrated if, no. if that makes sense. And maybe it's, that's uh... a new
1: trend we're going to see with acquisitions if they if they're truly bolt on then maybe integration isn't such a big deal
2: but what wasn't uh, part of the rationale for that deal as well is it was the growth of uh, convenience stores as well because Booker has what, what do they have Yeah
1: they the Budgins and Londys um, yeah, the acquisition they've also got a macro German business as they well got their
0: own thing is Premier is their retail brand oh,
1: yes it is um yeah, they've got a lot of experience in, in convenience. Um, if anything, that will be the stickler for the regu- regulator, though, is how the Tesco Express stores work with or against their oh, existing... They'll have yes. to, to get rid
0: of something, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's yeah what because it's there, there, about
2: there was some, uh, some doubts over the pricing mechanism there, wasn't it? Yeah. You,
1: basically, they they just don't want Tesco to have too much control in sort of using stores against each other or for each other and sort of manipulating trading, basically. So. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: yeah, well, I don't think that we would be all a We all remember the milk scandal, don't we? No, no, I don't. But l- please don't enlighten me either. Okay, we'll save that one for next week. Enlighten <laughs> me about something else, Robert. Let's let's talk about drones. Drones.
2: Drones. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we have we have covered it uh, the subject uh, uh, in the past. I mean, it's, but there's not
0: really many drone players in the UK. Oh, listen to the London market. You've got you've got BAE Systems. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tyrannis.
2: Tyrannis is uh, the, uh, uh, is, the uh, uh, is the prototype that they've developed and uh, still in the. Process of uh, which looks a like a tr- Cylon. Well, well, Galactica. well absolutely. Yeah. But the, the whole reason behind that is to just see how far they could push this technology. And they're in that's um, it's in conjunction with another number of uh, aerospace companies on the continent as well.
0: It's cool. We put it on the cover, actually. Yeah, put it on the cover.
2: Well, the idea is well, that this, this will provide a, a sort of a, a blueprint for how they're. Various uh, air forces around Europe will go forward with this technology. Okay, so Um, so
0: so uh, I mean, these are military drones that, generally speaking, are for blowing blowing people up. Yes, Uh, and
2: and they and they cost in the millions, but uh, they're still uh, eventually they'll be. Uh, price, uh, well they'll be far more effective than manned aircraft
0: Absolutely Um, which require obviously someone to fly them and a lot of training Um, but you know for for, for investors of more ethical persuasion you know there is is some light at the end of the drone technology tunnel as well.
2: Yeah I've just highlighted a number of areas throughout the economy where you're starting to see widespread applications of drones and the obvious ones are in uh, agriculture and also the extractive industries as well. I've spoken to a lot of people in oil and gas where drones are in um, uh, you know, uh, regular use in uh, offshore platforms. So what, are they,
0: what are they using for? What sort of things? Are well, they for do? safety
2: measures. You know, rather than sending someone absenting down the size of a rig, you just send a drone down just to make sure that there isn't any uh, excessive corrosion and so on and so forth. Just see if there's any uh, vectoring of gases. Um, you know, the safety aspects really. Uh, so you don't have to put uh, human lives uh, at risk. It's a dangerous business. And all oh, uh, you know, when you look at big farming properties as well. It, it, it's it's logical why you know that the use is there. I mean, they're widespread use in Australia, of course, and the for United monitoring. States. I mean, for it's a large, of, large, uh, sheep farm. Well, exactly. Farm, yeah. I mean, you know, they're not penned in cattle and, and sheep, for the most part in uh, northern uh, Queensland and the Northern Territory as well. These vast properties, uh, where in the past they've used helicopters, for instance, to which use, are expensive, which too. are expensive. But this is obviously a very cost effective way of doing it. Uh, plus, there's the um, there's the hobbyist market, which is uh, which is quite large at the moment. But it's just so a- fly-
0: flying drones into the flight paths of uh, yeah, uh, so uh, aircraft. Well,
2: the readers will know <laughs> we ha- we have a little uh, commentary in there from uh, s- some of our friends at the Civil Aviation Authority as well, because it's a real um, uh, excuse the pun, but it's a real moving target in, in terms of the, the regulatory uh, framework concerning drones.
0: I, I can understand it. I, I went to a, a fireworks display at my girl's school a while back someone was flying a drone above us and I, I just kept thinking to myself you know, if that thing runs out of batteries it's going to fall on my head where
2: well, <laughs> is that well, <laughs> oddly enough I was sitting in the beer garden of my local uh, the other week and there was one just up ahead and it's, it's quite a, it's an eerie feeling really it's very it, sci-fi it really is you feel like is. you're in Blade Runner yeah exactly I mean back on the retail Something again I think, film coming out soon? I think highlight, um, Harriet highlighted a while back the fact that uh, Amazon had uh, successfully tested first prime uh, delivery in uh, Cambridge. Which uh, was a PR stunt. Well, a uh, total PR stunt. Uh, I mean, you ca- it's difficult to imagine uh, widespread application in this regard. You know, you're not going to get your sort of penguin paperback delivered by a drone to your front door. I mean, it's just logistically, it would, it would be a nightmare. However, Do there are... Yeah, Yeah, it would, wouldn't
0: it? It would. I mean, like
1: a million of them. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: uh, But but there are there are certain areas that make sense in uh, built-up environments as well. I was talking to uh, one analyst who highlighted. uh, organ deliveries. I mean, you know, oh, you, uh, for transplants. I mean, transplant
0: organs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the
2: way it is at the moment, you have to get from one side of the city to the other. It's like 30 miles in London. Well, you get
0: the bikes, don't you? The, uh,
2: yep. high speed drivers. Yep. But, and it's absolutely critical as well because, you know, have got obvious reasons. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that could be a, that could be one of the first applications and people are looking at that at the moment. Um, again, we'll have to look at, uh, the regulatory frameworks are being developed in the United Kingdom, the United States, and uh, And the European Union, of course uh, but there 's obviously going to be some degree of harmonization there too
0: a, a question uh, are these are autonomous
2: well this is this is it uh, when I was trying to find the actual size of the market it 's it's, it's difficult to do because it rather depends on what you define as a drone uh, and if you... Okay, you, you've got an operator for these things. Is that autonomous? No, you no. an operator. <laughs> the, the, the Tyrannus, for instance, the, um, the effective fighter, or the multi, uh, multi-facet uh, aircraft you mentioned previously, that ha- apparently, BAE wouldn't um, confirm this. They wouldn't confirm anything about it, but... They wouldn't tell you
1: anything. They That's tell why we wrote a you. feature about it. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Just sign the Official Secrets <laughs> Act and uh, make something up. By all accounts, it has an, it is autonomous. You can let it, um, let it go and it will scope the battlefield, actually find out where the, the targets are, whether it, whether delivery of weapon systems or in terms of photography, and do it itself. how it does this goodness only knows, but uh, that 's you know that's right at the outer edge of the technology there.
0: Okay, but 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 in terms of the civil drones, potentially autonomous, maybe. Uh,
2: well, i i I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past it, but I, I think I think you know it depends what the price point is as well. Cause I think I think we're going off on a weird tangent here. Who cares whether they're autonomous the, or not? The,
0: the, the, the point is that this this technology is coming. Yeah.
2: Um, how do we play it? It's the coma Well. Um, well, I, I, in many respects, one of the, the best things you could do is find out um, uh, what are the tech funds that are investing in at the moment because you have some that might have a, um, a larger weighting towards drone technology. There are other areas of uh, a new tech that are more advanced and the market's larger. You know, I allude to new generation batteries, for instance. That's mm-hmm. a larger market at the moment. And it's, um, you know, that, that has been in development since about 1970 as well, don't forget. But recently, it's accelerated.
0: You, you have to go overseas really to get to get direct exposure to drone technology beyond the military applications we've talked.
2: Yeah, about. Yeah, pretty really. pretty much. Um, there are we, we mentioned uh, Ray, we've got Raytheon and buyer, which is a, a U.S. Uh, military uh, contractor. I think it's the third largest in the world. Now, they have many strings to their bow. They're the largest um, uh, missile uh, supplier to the Pentagon, but they are making. Uh, Really swift developments in drone technology, but with use beyond uh, military matters as well, they're looking at the uh, the civilian market You're
0: there. Aeroviron meant. Yes, it's French. That
2: it for some reason I just thought it should be a French company with a name like that, but it's not. It's an American company. Yeah, I think they've got a. Li- they may well have a listing in in Toronto. Oh, actually, I might, I might be wrong on that. Okay,
0: course, and but. then you've got the Israelis who are very good at this as well.
2: Elbit Systems. Yeah, Elbit Systems, but again, that's many uh, military technology uh, there as well. There's uh, but, but a lot of a lot of but these... there's companies like GoPro, for instance. Small smaller companies that you can get um, exposure to, uh, again, on NASDAQ, I think that supply, um, they, they make drones themselves, but they're having trouble competing in that hobbyist end of the market because DJI, in China, a privately um, held company dominates in that market you know just on terms of the price point, but they actually produce these high res uh, cameras that you 'll find in drones, but also the type of things that you wear on uh, the cyclists will wear on top of their helmets and skiers and so forth so it 's the old uh, picks and shovels argument again
0: well, you, you mentioned a chip maker in the piece as well that that, that provides some of the silicon that goes into yeah, these uh, yeah yeah these, I these mean things
2: th- there are a number of like companies you could access in the in the supply chain. Um, uh, it's pretty difficult to get pure play ex- exposure at the moment, but it's uh, a trend.
0: It's, I think the point is this is a trend that's going to take hold, and it has the potential to to to, uh, to disrupt a number of industries.
2: Yeah, it, it could be massive. I mean, you know, it's it's already being utilised um, extensively in uh, law enforcement now as well. Hey, hey, while we're on the subject of flying, should we talk about Ryanair? We we could mention. Should we talk
0: about Ryanair?
1: Do you mean the uh, major boo boo, as Michael O'Leary discussed, <laughs> <laughs> di- termed termed the uh, debacle today? Well, this uh, is this is
2: Mr. O'Leary, who's been um, vehemently uh, critical of the UK government's response to the Brexit negotiations, and you know he's justified as well because it's one of the uh, real sticking points is uh, aviation. Uh, the,
0: the yeah, there's, there's definitely something to be discussed around around the disruption that Brexit could cause to the aviation
2: industry. Indeed, but it's slightly ironic. <laughs> it's slightly ironic uh, given that uh, he has failed to um, adapt to changing uh, European uh, legislation on this front, which has going to blow a sort of, twi- well, well, I said 20... 20- 25 million 25 million the other day. Euro? But, but, pounds? Yeah, it doesn't, really doesn't matter Pretty anymore. So, um, but you said that figure connection. No,
0: were- I, I I don't know where I heard that. I think maybe that was an uh, over-enthusiastic okay, uh, so radio it's, it's a large <laughs> chunk. <laughs> it's a large of number. You,
2: You're going to have to use the toilets in Ryanair planes, uh, you know, excessively well, to they- make up that. Uh, do you know, do you know that, of- I remember that there was uh, once upon a time, <laughs> got Ryanair is, is one of those
0: airlines where you kind of you have to pay for everything that you don't, you know beyond the, be the seat that you're sitting in. Actually, you do have to pay for
2: the seat. Well, that was the point. They were going to bring in... A, going a pound for the toilet. A pound, yeah. It's going back to the 1960s. Are we, uh, do you think they're going to do it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it's hard to I'm it. sorry. I, I, I know. I it, it, I, it, obviously, lots of customers have been massively inconvenienced by the, like the this. The problem it's not good. I've been there myself with another UK budget airline, EasyJet. Uh,
1: well, from an investment point of view, though, I mean, EasyJet has a track record of cleaning up when things at other airlines go wrong. When Air France a couple of years back had those terrible labor disputes, EasyJet's business went through the roof. So if they're smart about it,
0: oh, good point. Ooh, is, it a sw- is it a switch mm. trade? Maybe
1: start to offer a more competitive price to rebook the, your the flight, p- and we all know that EasyJet's got more capacity than it needs, so fill them up.
2: The problem was I link- like it. The problem was linked, of course, to the uh, amount of time that their um, their pilots spend in the air, and obviously there's. Uh, international and European uh, legislation governing this. But I think the problem was is they changed the, change the actual dates that you, you, know, you determine how many holidays the said pilots have had. And somebody at Ryanair has uh, failed to pick this up.
0: Well, I, I, think, I think they've actually come out today and said that it's been a management failure. And that is exactly what it is. And yeah. a major boo-boo. And a major boo-boo. <laughs> this
1: <laughs> is exactly
0: I, I, no, I don't think I've ever seen Michael O'Leary lost for words, but uh, <laughs> there you go. It's the first time for everything, isn't there? Right. Let's bring in Simon Thompson.
3: Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay, John. Recovering from my neck injury.
0: Yeah, what was the, but Neck injury? What, what, have you been
3: do-
0: <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing? What
3: have you been doing? I've got something called torticollis, which um, basically means the muscles in your neck freeze up. Um, and uh, inhibit your ability to actually move your head. So, I, I so you, don't, you don't need that.
2: to move your head to the right, Simon. So it's,
0: uh... S-
3: Simon, and I'd I've like got...
2: to apologise for the editor's bedside manner. <laughs>
3: <laughs> What's wrong with you? Get back to work. This is a sympathy I'm used to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, are you on the mend?
3: I, I'm I'm slowly on the mend. Lots of physio, lots of visits to hospital. So oh um,
0: god, that sounds awful.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm lucky.
0: You're lucky. You don't say lucky to me. Anyway, so I mean, you have been soldiering through this and you've managed to to, to keep the uh, keep the columns churning out. Um, let's talk about your uh, your column this week. What what we're we going to talk about first?
3: Uh, there's a couple of companies that I wrote up in the column inflection points that are turning profitable very
0: ah, shortly. Actually, before um, How do you spell inflection? I with an x. Are you sure about that? This is co- oh. this has been the, uh, the subject of some debates in the office.
3: I have it. Well well, 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 let's just... Let's just write, so.
0: <laughs> I looked it up, both is right, so I never changed it. So, uh,
3: okay, okay. So, uh, yes, before
0: uh, any readers complain about our spelling, this is correct. Okay, one of two. Okay. Anyway, well, sorry, well, Simon, well, to interrupt.
3: Well, well. Um, in this column, inflection points with an X, um, I, I, I note that um, Gresham House, one of my bargain shares from 2016, a company led by Tony Dalwood, who was previously with Schroder's Ventures um, from a starting position of no assets under management. He's, um, he's now got over half a billion um, in the last three years. And in the last six months, it's grown by 50%. And he's been launching funds basically across assets which are generally illiquid but um, are appealing to institutions because of the yields that they can generate. So like fo- one of- forestry, for example. Yeah, so forestry is um, one of the first ones that they actually did an acquisition and, and that side of the business, they grew funds under management 20% last year, up another 5% to quarter of a billion pounds um, six months of this year. Um, they, they're launching, they have launched um, um, a new forestry fund which had first closed 50 million pounds. October last year, it will close, the second close, uh, second half of this year. We're looking upwards of £50 million pounds worth of target size, so that'll be nice funds inflow in the second half. Um, they, they've just closed another fund. This is uh, British Strategic Investment Fund, which has attracted pension funds endowments and family offices, basic institutions. And this is targeting liquid investments in UK housing and infrastructure-related assets, um, got a very low correlation with other asset classes, but a positive link to inflation. They're, they're looking at yields or net returns of about 10% a year um, on that, that fund, and that's just raised £150 million. That's listed, and is it?
0: The uh, British Strategic In- Investment Fund?
3: Um, it's a closed-end Gertie Limited Partnership with the 12-Year Life.
0: On the um, on, on main market? aims that?
3: I, I don't think it is, actually. I thought, I thought it was private. It's
0: private, um, is it? Okay.
3: But yeah, yeah. Um, um, but that's literally just closed um, very, very recently. Um, but because they've been doing all these um, great fundraisers um, to get new investors on board for these funds, then um, as a result of that, their management fee income is ratcheting up and Liberum Capital is the highest broker, and I believe that they will hit run rate profitability in the second half of this year. Um, and that, that's important because... The reason I actually um, backed this company in the Bargain shells portfolio uh, February last year was that they've got massive asset backing on the balance sheets, which is completely independent of the fund management side. And over 90% of their net asset value of £30 million is actually hard, realisable assets. They've got, for example, £11 million of that £30 million is actually cash. Uh, they've got an investment in a another fund called Gresham House Strategic, worth £6.5 million, and that is listed on AIM. Um, They've got deferred consideration from legacy assets from Persimmon, another couple of million pounds there. They've got a land site up for sale. So so basically, I believe that you can value this business in two parts. One is these hard assets, which are worth about £240 a share. And the second part is the fund management business, which Liberum's leave will have upwards of £650 million worth of assets under management by the end of next year.
0: So there's plenty of of upside then?
3: Oh, masses, masses of upside. I I reckon, I mean, the shares now are about £2.50. I'm saying a realistic target is £4.30. And that's very realistic, but if they continue to grow at the rate that they've been doing, then, then you know, I, I'm going to have to upgrade that um, that target price.
0: Okay, definitely, uh, wants, definitely wants to keep an eye on. Let's, uh, let's talk Bango. Uh,
3: Bango is really interesting. I had the boards all on the telephone um, earlier this week um, and gave them a grilling on this one. It's, it's, it's a hot stock. Basically, they provide state-of-the-art mobile payments platform that allows smartphone users to charge purchases made in app stores, their mobile phone accounts um they've been winning lots and lots of business um they the end user spend basically that's processed through this platform started the year at 195 million pounds by june it was up to 300 million pound exit rates by the end of august it was 400 million pounds and this is even before taking into account the deal that they've done with amazon in Japan which will allow the 123 million customers of the two largest mobile carriers there to actually make purchases on Amazon Japan's website and actually bill them to their uh, telephone accounts. Um, And to give you some idea of the size of that market, um, the turnover of Amazon Japan last year was 1 trillion yen. That's $10 billion or 7.8 billion sterling. Um, Only 53% of the users, consumers in uh, Japan actually paid by credit card. It's got very low credit card penetration. So, whereas mobile usage is very high, so that that deal has basically opened up not just Amazon but um, other retailers to the potential of um, this payment platform. And during a, my call with um, Ray Anderson, who's the chief executive of Bango, um, he revealed, which wasn't revealed in the release, that um, they've been contacted by lots of international retailers who want to get into the Japanese retail market, but up until this point have been ab- haven't been able to. But as a result of um, seeing what uh, Bangu is doing with farmers in Japan, um, it's creating a huge amount of interest. Um, the other thing that he revealed, which is very, very interesting, is that um, the company poached two Middle Eastern mobile operators who migrated their Google Play routes over to Bango's platform in the first half, but immediately saw a 35% increase in their end user spend. Basically, Bango's got this software product um, which enables uh, more cost-effective and targeted marketing programs for clients' contents and services. And it was this, this Bango boost that actually led to that increase. And during our conversation with, uh, my conversation with uh, Mr. Anderson, he said that he's identified, I quote, sources of migration that can bring in billions of dollars in end user spend. Well, their end user spend at the moment is 400 million pounds at the end of August. That, that was the exit run rate. That was 42% ahead of the house broker's
0: forecast. Mm, I mean, mo- uh, mobile payments is something that, that I, I don't think anyone's ever really cracked. I mean, it, and it does look like Bango has something, uh, has kind of, kind of found that, that magic ingredient. However, I mean, we, we covered the results this week as well. Uh, we have to want to buy on the company's team. Uh, but the, the turnover still looks quite small. What's, what's going to be the inflection point that really, that really turns this into a, a mega company?
3: No, they, 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 they're going to hit, uh, this is another quote, which um, I, I didn't put in my piece, but uh, the quote is, we are going to hit profitability within weeks. Um, so they, their operating costs are pretty stable at £5.4 million pounds a year. Um, the gets roughly, well, it really depends on the client, between one5 and 1.8% um, of the gross um, transaction value as, as their fee. Uh, for actually processing the transaction. So with operating cost stable, and the end user spent doubling year on year for the last three years, and now you know it's over £400 million, pounds, um, then as soon as it moves into profits, um, you're going to see a very sharp rise in profitability thereafter.
0: It's basically massive uh, operational gearing, then?
3: Uh, I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. I mean, I've covered hundreds and hundreds of companies over the years, but, but this one really excites me, given, A, the market, but it's addressing plus the operational gearing of the business and my models, these aren't analyst models but my models suggest that if they continue doing what they're doing that by 2020 they could be processing upwards of $2 billion worth of transactions, 1.5 billion sterling worth of transactions assume a gross margin 1.3, 1.35 one35 1.3%, Their gross um, profits could be roughly £20 million Deduct operating costs. You're looking at net profits of about £10 million for a company that's got a market value of about £170 million today. Mm. Um, I, I've put a target price of £3, but that is based on very conservative assumptions for the Amazon deal um, and also very consu- very conservative assumptions for their ability to pick up other Google Play routes. Um, I, I, I think the risk here is massively to the upside. Mm. Um, it, it's, one that,
0: it's one that feels like it could get taken out, actually. I mean, if you think of the transactions that have happened in the fintech space recently, Pay being an obvious example, you know, this, this has a feel of something that somebody might want.
3: Oh, totally, totally. Um, and because we're now at that point where it's actually profitable and it's got cash in the bank as well, um, and people are getting excited over, you know, the, the potential market out there, and... Um, and, and we're not even talking about the potential in India, which is um, another country with very low credit card usage, but uh, mobile telephones are, are really taking off. Um, you know, th- th- this is something across Asia that could be could be huge. Mm. I mean, th- th- they've got sales offices now in Asia-Pacific ring, they're targeting Singapore and Taiwan being two that they discussed when I was on the telephone with boards. Um, but you know, g- given what they've already done and the point they're at, then yeah, this could be an interesting target for a predator.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Alright, well, uh, thank you very much, Simon. Uh, thank you, for, as I said, for soldiering through your uh, your discomforts this week. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope you feel better soon.
3: Uh, I will, and I Properly will soldier, sol- soldier into the office next week, too. Oh yeah, of course. I yeah, well, look forward to seeing you, <laughs> Simon. <laughs> it's been a while.
0: Too. Okay. Thank yeah, you very much. See you yeah. in a bit. Bye. 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 Uh, actually another one Simon mentioned this week which we haven't talked about it's French Connection but should we not go there
1: we can go there because I'm neutral on it
0: neutral yeah but it's such a perpetual disappointment
1: It is. And for most of last year, I had it on a sell when it was part of Simon's Park and Share Portfolio. Oh, how dare you. I know. And unfortunately, I was proved right on that one. Um, You often
0: are proved right, Harriet. Thank you. I think we had a little disagreement about Next when you tipped that, didn't we?
1: We did, but somehow, somehow. You've been
0: very generously not reminding me about that. I've been away.
1: Don't worry, I'm back now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think think my my crowning glory this year is actually Games Workshop. If anyone's followed that tip. I'm claiming
0: full credit for that.
1: You did not give me the idea for that.
0: I tipped that years ago. I was. Well, uh I was, oh, a, I, I, I'm a nerd.
1: It's been a basket case for a long time. It has not. It has. Uh, right. And then this year, it's already up nearly eighty percent since I tipped it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to go back to my old tip. There.
2: I had a uh, I had a reader in uh, my local uh, compliment me on that just the other night. On oh, that very tip. Yes, that very tip. Oh, there you
0: go.
1: I hope you told it's him. Really it's
0: the best conversations had, isn't it, Robo? <laughs> j d weatherscreens <laughs> <laughs> yes um, okay, right let's uh let's call it a day
2: well, right. we should really mention this week's feature, I, I would mention oh God yeah, I haven't only mentioned the feature yeah, yeah.
0: it is tremendous, Alex is at a conference, uh, unfortunately, so he couldn't talk about the feature. it's fantastic
2: well of course, uh, Alex used to be uh, a legal writer previously before he joined us,
0: so he's gone he's gone. It's gone into the legal profession and how it lia- liaises with markets, sort of amb- it hasn't
2: done historically. Well, no, it's, it's ambulance chasing for investors, really.
0: Ambulance chasing for investors. I, I think that is that is uh, talking about that f- a, a high-quality feature in a way that is not very fair. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's actually really interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know... Look, some of the case studies that Basically, he's... Basically, talking about some case studies. Yeah, Burford Capital. Pro- the legal problems they have had. Burford Capital is... is, is a yeah. bunch Capital is an interesting company because... In fact, I think it's one of Simon's tips. Um, it funds litigation. Yeah. And has done very well out of doing that because it has a very good team. What Alex is actually talking about is companies that ha- are in the middle or... Of outstanding litigation. Outstanding legal issues. Yeah. Uh, we, we've seen quite a lot of that on the
2: markets recently. Yeah. The
0: banks in particular... Uh, resource companies, resource as well. nationalism the at the Kermen, moment, for
2: instance, uh, in the in the past, yeah. uh,
0: and, and actually, I think it's very important that investors understand the implications of these things. Yeah. And Alex has really got to grips with 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 how how you know what is a very very uh, opaque subject, the yes. law, especially when it comes to v- specific legal cases. Uh, how, how you as investors can actually um, get a, get get through that difficult. Uh, That difficult thing, which
2: is law. Well, just as a a, a general theme, that's going to become perhaps even more germane in the coming. Months as well because of the Brexit ne- negotiations. Oh my you know. goodness, it's going to go. It's going to be nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going
0: to have a look at something for us soon, aren't you, Robbo? The uh, the, the automotive sector, which is probably the most complicated. Supply yeah, chain it's just
2: looking at the supply chain there and the the implications. Um, it's sort of quite an arcane model, but I've sort of been digging uh, down a little bit into it, and so that'll be in the magazine uh, hopefully soon. I look forward later.
0: to. Bought some light bulbs from the Car this week. Did you? Yeah, Philips. Philips yeah. Uh, Dutch. Dutch. The alternative was Bosch. German. German. Or Osram. Turkish? No idea. No,
2: no. Uh, well, US, I think.
0: I don't know. Anyway, they weren't made in Britain. That's for sure. Yeah, so it just, I, for me, it kind of said something about the nature of, uh, of where we may be going with the automotive supply chains.
2: But there you go. Well, actually, I was going to say that light globes would be sort of fairly low margin, uh, high volume, but that's changed without LED, hasn't it? They're not it? cheap. Well, yes. 20 quid. Well, modern lighting is, is rather expensive.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there you go. All right. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Mark. Uh, lots more in the magazine this week. Lots of results still. It's, uh, it's still a manic time of year. The usual tips, the usual comments. Um, we've got a couple of features this week beyond uh, beyond the, the excellent cover feature. We have... Uh, Uh, John Rosier updating his portfolio. He's uh, he's had particular success this month with a biotech stock, and he's hanging on to
2: it. We've got some great some advice on stop loss as well.
0: We've got some great stuff in the money section. Stop losses, I think, is uh, is a very interesting subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that you would think, uh, you know, was an obvious a no brainer. Put stop losses in place, but if you do it wrong, it can cost you money. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Simon from afar. Uh, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Pick up the magazine uh, and all good news agents, companies in court. See you soon. Thank you very much.